welcome to the Level Up Lean podcast. Lovely. Um, so today I'm joined by James Elliott. Um, I'm going to probably get this wrong, correct okay. me. So okay. I'm going to list off a few things that I know about you from my stalking. Okay. So ex-military. Correct. I'll, actually, I'll go from the top. Father. Correct. Yeah. Ex-military. Yeah. Guinness World Record holder. Time what times three Guinness World Records times five World Records. We'll get stuck into that. Wait, okay. how does that work? Well, we'll get stuck into that. Okay. Author. Yeah. Psychotherapist. Yeah. And keen Brazilian jiu-jitsu. <laughs> okay. Keen, uh, like like keen but very amateur Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Yeah. I get choked a lot. Okay, fine. Um, kind of got. Is there anything else? <laughs> uh, probably, but but no, we'll no, that, that's actually. it. We'll go with that. Yeah. So yeah, massive thanks for coming on today. My pleasure, really mate. appreciate Honestly. it. So I've honestly been so excited since you agreed to do this um for a number of reasons okay but partly because i actually don't know a lot about you and we've not really spoken and, I, and that's deliberate i think because mm. we spoke about it and i was like yeah, i yeah. don't want to talk to you and you were like don't ask me anything <laughs> yeah 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 um, yeah so it's because i'm personally very intrigued about you what you do now there's a lot of relation um like a lot of it relates to what i do i think mm. um so i'm massively interested in this and to find out a bit more about you and what you do so we're gonna start and then we'll see what happens okay 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 so not gonna go all the way back i want to go back to army days military to start with yeah okay we'll cool. go from there so what i want to know first off why did you join the military when yeah and what did you go into so i joined in 2006 and uh, i was in and out of homelessness um didn't have any like work casting hand working on building sites but in and out of homelessness um lots of like real violence like lots of drugs lots of you know stuff that you do the very best you can with the information that you've got that's true of 99 percent of the world's population nobody wakes up in the morning to think i'm going to be the bad guy today and a series of bad decisions takes you down a really dark 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 way and so yeah i was in and out of this like i just like life was terrible you know like i, th I think back on it and i think about you know stealing dog ends out of ashtrays you know and pubs outside and fighting people and nicking stuff and running into shops and running back out trying to get involved trying to create an element of stability it falling away more drugs more violence you know stuff that you know we spent a lot of time in my own therapy talking about you know those days it was really interesting with the therapist that i had whereby she went you know spoke about everything i said Do you want to talk about child abuse and talk about the army or afghanistan she went, i want to talk about i want to talk about the times you were homeless the 17 year old boy with nowhere to sleep that's a rough place to be and that must have had a really detrimental effect on you and your psyche. And yeah, I mean, I remember going through a breakup like two years ago now, nearly. And, uh, the first thought I had was I'm going to be fucking homeless again. And that just being so overwhelmingly terrifying that actually it was one of the few times in my adult life where I, I have actually cried and there's nothing wrong with crying. You know, Charlotte Bronte says, um, never be ashamed of crying from, from, from Never be ashamed of crying for from the first moment that you are born, it is a sign that you are alive. Like you have these experiences, these emotions, you express that. That's a beautiful thing. But I remember it's been the first time, you know, in a long time that I really cried and I wasn't crying because the relationship was over. I was crying because, oh my God, I'm going to be homeless again. Like I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anywhere to stay. Something that I was severely reprimanded for by my like army mates who were like, shut up. Like you will come and live with us. Like what's the matter with you? You mad? Yeah. Like, oh my God, like Jim, you will never, that will never happen to you. But there's that overwhelming fear. So yeah, I was in and out of this like absolute state of poverty, like absolute poverty, you know? Um, when you're stealing food because you need to eat, not because you want, you know, like I'm not steal I'm not going and stealing sweets, I'm going and stealing tins of beans. Mm -hmm. Like there's a distinct difference in that type of crime. 
you know, something I talk about a lot quite often where there's crime, there's, there's actually two victims. The re if everyone is doing the very best that they can with the information that they've got, quite often the person committing the crime is in a fairly desperate position. That's why they're having to do it. Like I'm not stealing food. I'm not committing theft because I'm a scumbag. I'm committing theft because I wanted to eat and things life was to, life was tough. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a, a, a legal um, defense, a quotus necessarium est lisi, which is what is necessary is legal. So that yeah. was the state I was in. So when an individual's basic needs, like food, safety, shelter, when that's not being met and they have to make a decision to meet those basic needs, is that really a choice? Mm. You know, people will talk about, you know, um, lots of examples of this. Like, lots of, like, say, for example, a woman who goes into the sex trade, they go, well, it's her choice to do that. Is it? If her basic needs aren't being met, we all have to do what we have to do to put food on the table, to keep a roof over our head. Hence why poverty and crime go hand in hand. There's a really great line from um, the new Flash movie where uh, Batman gets the uh, lasso of truth wrapped around his arm and he says, I'm one of the world's richest men. If I really wanted to end crime, I would just end poverty. And he goes, <gasps> and takes that off. It's absolutely true. Yeah. So I was committing all this crime. I was in and out of this crime. I, was, I had nothing, had nothing. And that was trauma. Like there was trauma on those days. And I needed to join the army. Like I, need, I needed to get out of, of where I was of what I was doing. And I actually went to go join up before, but then like bottled it and then came back and said at 18, like, like, I, you know, I need to, you know, I need to join. And, and that was you, your decision to do all that. I, like, feed me, clothe me. Right. Okay. And, 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 and yeah, the guy said, you know, where's your dad? And I went prison. He's like, what's your relationship like with your family? And I was like, terrible. And he went, you'll join the airborne. <laughs> so I went to the army and, did like this fitness test and we're like, yeah, happy days. And you do all this kind of silliness wearing a colored bib mm. and they're like red number six. I was like, yep, yep. Pass did it and off you go to back to the recruitment office that you go to. And, uh, the guy was like, yeah, how soon can you start? I seen you, can you, can you get me in? And, uh, yeah. And that was it. That, that was that. Originally I was, I was going to go to, um, um, I was thinking about maybe joining because talked about a trade and talked about engineers, but okay. I was no, straight into basic training. And I was like, it's not what I want. Like, like, like airborne, they're like, okay, cool. So I went to unit called seven power RHA who were based up in Colchester. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did the entirety of my regular service with them. And then I did two years with the reserve. So I wound up doing 14 years. So I did 12 years in the regulars with seven power RHA and then two years with fourth battalion parachute regiment as a reserve. Yeah. Enjoy it. I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not a veteran. Mm -hmm who's left the army, who's going to slag it off. I absolutely adored my time. I met some of the best people in the world and where I was to where I am, that's because of the army. Like the army takes low socioeconomic demographic men and, and, and gives them identity and purpose fits their basic needs. I quite often talk about, you know, it's one of the things that guys struggle with when they come out the other end is you have the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah. right? So your basic needs, your physiological needs, safety and security and purpose and identity is all filled for you by the army. You, your self-actualization, that's that they put you there so you can perform as a soldier. So whenever a soldier goes on a course and there's not accommodation, there's not food isn't sorted. There are people whose job it is in the army to sort those things out because a soldier needs to be a state of self-actualization. He's at the very top of his Maslow's hierarchy of needs so that he can perform or they, sorry, can perform as a soldier. The moment that that's gone because they've now left the, the military that then becomes a problem because no one's filling that hierarchy of needs for them anymore. Yeah. Their basic needs are no longer being met. They don't have a sense of purpose or identity, the food, shelter, all of this stuff. Like it's all taken care of. What, what on earth is council tax? 
welcome to the real world. You're in your 30s and all of a sudden you're paying council tax. You never buy a house as well. Buy a house. Yeah, yeah. How do I feed myself? Yeah. How do I actually look after myself? Like where were, where are all of my mates and why am I not constantly hanging out with them? Mm. So Did yeah. you struggle with that coming yeah, out? Yeah. Yeah. So when I got out, I was in a relationship with a girl um, who lived near Birmingham. And so <laughs> just south of Birmingham in a town called Redditch, um, which was, it was just a terrible place. I'm sorry if anyone who listens to this lives <laughs> in Redditch, I'm sure they can admit it. They go, yeah, it's a shit hole. Um, so I went to Redditch and like, there was no rugby, there was no, like it was a real small town with like a real small town mentality and my daughter and my friends and my rugby club were the other side of the country in Colchester. And I am just not where I should be with the people that I should be doing it with doing the things I, I'm not where I should be, um, doing the things I should be with the people I should be doing it with. I just wasn't there. And so like this massive sense of identity was like super challenged. And quite often we see, I have this lot of clients where they're not sure of their identity. They start thinking about their mortality because you feel like your life is being wasted. So you start developing this like real fear of death. Mm. You start becoming really anxious. You become really overwhelmed. And I'm like, a, you know, I'm studying and, and, and um, becoming like a psychotherapist and setting my business up and I'm doing my master's degree in, in um, war and psychiatry. And people think that's great purpose, but I was just, I wasn't doing it with the people I should be doing it with. Where's my daughter? Where's my friends? You know, and that creates a huge amount of emotional distress for me. So when that relationship fell apart, the instantaneous response was, oh, I'm going to be homeless like right, okay. i'm gonna i'm gonna oh my god i'm gonna go back to that bursting into like tears and going what do i do what do i do i'm so helpless and we often see traumatic experiences and helplessness go hand in hand so that's why a lot of people who go through really traumatic experiences where they've been rejected by people who should have cared for them they then as adults become very standoffish towards receiving help because they don't ever want to be in that state where they rely on someone else because helplessness and trauma are, are, are very often linked to so become standoffish towards that help and all of a sudden like that and i was like oh my god and and i think <clears throat> When I said in a group chat, this has happened, um, I think in two hours I had five offers. Like I've got a room, I've got a house, I've got a flat. Okay. Come stay with me, come stay with me, come stay with me. Don't worry about it. Like come stay with me, it won't cost you anything. And I was like, wow. So I just packed everything that I could into my Corsa, <laughs> drove to Colchester, crashed with a friend. She was great for like three months, got my place in town and then moved into there and was like, done. Cool. And you know, now I live in, in the town, have my daughter every day, you know, I played loads of, well, played some rugby since I come yeah, back to doing the jiu-jitsu. So yeah. is that after the army with rugby? Uh, so no. So really, I mean, I played rugby before I joined the army for quite a while and then in it, but whilst I was a, I was a parachute instructor for a while. And whilst I was down at the parachute training school, there were some fantastic RAF rugby players. Like, like some of them had had played professional rugby. And so they just kind of set up this sevens team that was done as a charitable thing for, um, one of the lads who got really tragically injured, injured on a, uh, parachute jump. And, um, yeah, we were just playing like these, like mega sevens tournaments, like heart of Wales and Harpins and sevens. And yeah, it was just an unbelievable experience. And that's where, you know, I started doing the world records and stuff. And yeah, that's why I really got exposed to touch like, on that, yeah. the world records. So I've obviously stalked you a little bit, um, cool. and it says world records. So I'll go roundabout way of things. Okay, cool. Because I want to touch on your book as well. Okay, cool. The one thing that I didn't want to do is because I've got your book. Okay. Um, I struggle to read because okay. my attention just goes off and I can't shut it off. So I listen. So I've got you mm -hmm. on audible. I started listening and I was like, oh shit, I'm making notes on everything here. And I <laughs> there was so much that Thanks I was like, man, yeah. I'm actually going to stop. So okay. I will finish it, mm. but I deliberately stopped. 
um, at one point because there was just too much going on in my head. Okay, like, okay, okay. Maybe, I don't know about ADHD, but definitely overactive brain of some sort. Mm. So the Guinness World Records, you said you're going to be mentioning later on. Mm. What are you? What have you got a Guinness World Record in? Okay, <laughs> records. Records. So I've got five world records. So the difference between Guinness and like general world records. So you can write off the Guinness and say, what's the world record for this? Right. And go and break the world record. And they go, cool. That's unofficial. Okay. To do it officially, everything has to be weighed, measured. You can actually pay for them to come along and yeah, witness yeah. it. So five world records. So the two unofficial ones were most amount bench press in a group of 12 in an hour. And I did that with FitX, the bodybuilding federation. So yeah, they I had, like, yeah, right. So they had a FitX meet and they said, listen, we're going to do this thing. We're going to do most amount bench pressed and then most amounts deadlifted. In terms of weight or reps or? So, yeah. So you, Say say you got 100 kilogram on a bar yeah. and you do 10 reps, that's counted as a thousand kilograms. So that's how right. the world record works. So we did, and I, the number isn't going to be exact, but it was something like 168. So a group of 12 of us, we did like 168,000 kilograms bench pressed in an hour. And then we did something like 250,000 deadlifted in an hour. So like we got the world record, but unless you're willing to pay for Guinness to come up or have everything absolutely set up in a completely sterile environment, which they will because they have to, because it's a professional body, they will pick apart. So you have to make sure it's absolutely rigid. So we did, um, so we did that, those two. So those are my two unofficial. Now my official world record were, it was the longest game of rugby sevens and we played full contact rugby for 24 and a half hours. So rolling subs, two teams of 12 mm -hmm. sevens. Um, that was tough. Like I lost all of my toenails, oh. fractured a metal tarsal. What was the record before? There, there wasn't, there wasn't one, one, but Guinness, uh, if you go to Guinness, they will say you have to do a minimum of this. Right. Okay. Which well, they just pluck a number out of the sky. Well, I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think they'd speak to someone yeah, who yeah. would say, well, yeah, we can't give them 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's make it tough. Uh, and then the decision was then made um by the sort of the coach and captain to say well let's do it again in a year's time but let's do tents so then we did the exact same thing so full contact 24 and a half hours um rugby tents which was disgusting um and then my final one which is the tough one which was um, the tough one <laughs> most amount of people eating fish and chips at one time oh my god <laughs> And it was, I, it how was, the hell does that come it was like 300 odd people. It was a social media campaign. Right. Let's get this together. Got it together. Got all these people eating fish and chips. And yeah, that was, that was a tough one. How much do you reckon you, what, like, it was just 300 odd people just, just it, going for it. It was all done like on zoom. It was oh, like, wow. So Guinness oh, okay. were like really supportive of it. Um, because you know, it's just post sort of COVID-19 trying to get that. That's a reason then. Yeah. Idea of togetherness. So like lots of people got together and it was like 208 oh, cool. old people all just sat there and they all had to just sign in Yeah, yeah. and then yeah, sign in. And they had, they all had to have their cameras on. You had to scroll through each screen, 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 screen. Yeah, and yeah. Guinness were there like checking. Yeah. 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 And everyone just started eating their fish and chips. Was that a new thing or had that been done before? No, I think that was a new thing. New yeah. One, yeah. Yeah. How'd yeah. you feel after that? Yeah, peckish. No, it was delicious. <laughs> delicious. Like fish and chips. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. It was very nice. You got any other world records tied up? Uh, do you know what? There was a conversation with our mutual friend James Webb ah. the other Sunday. A couple of things that we were thinking about. Yeah. Interesting. Disgusting things. Yeah, nice. Well, we'll, we'll speak about that off camera. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Up, I'm up for getting involved in something weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, awesome. That's cool. So then we meant, I mentioned your book. Yeah. Um, Think Yourself Resilient. Mm. Why did you write a book? Wow. Well, so I came out of the, the, I left the British army. And when I left, I was the second in command of the British army's mental resilience training team. 
all this knowledge about this new thing about resilience. And I kind of wanted to like quantify all of my knowledge on emotional resilience and so on. Because I had all this information, like files and files and files and books and information and experiences that I had personally had around trauma, sporting achievement. Um, and I thought I want to quantify, I want it all written down in, in, in a space. From starting writing to publishing date, it's been about three years. It took me about three years to write. Um, I was approached by Thread, which is a part of Octopus Bookature. And um, I said, listen, well, I've actually, it's finished set because I've actually tried to get everything that I've already got down. Here's this thing. And they're like, cool, start again. Like start again, start afresh. That's cool, start again. So I sat down and wrote this thing out. And yeah, it was just, and like, it was a really therapeutic, cathartic process. Oh, I can see it being like that. Yeah. Cause you had to write about things and they would say, let's dig a little bit deeper into that. Tell us a little bit more about that trauma. And there were times when I say there's things I'm not happy to talk about. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm very open about the fact that you know, my, my, my biological dad went to prison when I was like 12, 13, he was, you know, like crazy levels of abuse, you know, and I was with him on my own for a lot. My mum had left when I was five, my mum had left and my sister had gone, gone with her. So I spent a lot of time with this guy, you know, and he would, he would like take me on his, these, these, he would go to like Europe and um, he would take me with him as a, as a little boy. So he would go and he would get the drugs, cocaine mainly and, 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 and hash weirdly, but it was late nineties. So that's what they used to do and pills and stuff like that. And then he would bring it across under the guise that it was luxury chocolates. And then hotels would buy it off of him, like top end hotels. Would, Knowing what it was. Oh yeah. Yeah. They would buy the gear off right, of him. Right. So luxury chocolates gear yeah, off him okay. and that's how it was getting brought in like the top top end hotels wow. yeah 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 yeah. because i'm that you said in your book when was it when your dad got arrested yeah estimated was it like two million yeah yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 it was um yeah so it was, it was like millions and millions of pounds worth yeah he was a proper 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 gangster proper yeah, yeah and and um I mean, he used to, he used to take a lot of his own supply. Effectively, he got caught because he took so many of his own drugs and he became so heavily addicted to his own cocaine that his life was like falling and he's becoming irrational. And that is effectively what drew the attention of the tax man. The tax man is what caught him out because he was throwing his money around. He was his coked off his nut, violent football hooliganism. So like, remember hooliganism? We don't really have it anymore, yeah. but it, existed back then so he used to go to like blackburn rovers and coventry city he was a red devil so like old school 90s teams you know old school 90s fights scrapping all the time and me taking me into um a coventry city pub and then he like stands in this pub and on game day and undoes his jacket he's got a man united top on and having a you know fucking having it out like throwing throwing fists in there i'm 10. no that was that was just kind of normal that was his normalized behavior yeah you know, he used to get like, he used to take so much coke that he would like pass out. I remember being able to like hold his eyelids open. Yeah, he could just like, he was just like, he'd be able to hold his eyelids open. You were like 10 at the time, you know? And um, that was the environment. Mm. So like, I had no yardstick for what like, positive masculine behavior really looked yeah. like, what it meant to be a man, what it meant to be a father. Um, so I was just all over the shop. So like the army has been an amazing organization and infrastructure for, saying like no we don't do that shit yeah like like a man is his word you say you're going to do something you do something i like have that follow in, through yeah right yeah. when a man's actions meet his words that's what we call integrity yeah 
And if you you don't have integrity, you don't have a you don't have a place here. Mm. You know, particularly like um, and you know, this is true really of, of all regiment. Every unit should have regimental pride, but particularly like in the airborne forces, we take great pride in in being self reliant, in being emotionally intelligent. And the people will scoff at that, of course they will, because like the army as as an as an organization is not emotionally intelligent. But being able to manage your emotional state, not fall apart, stay in control, breathe, focus, get the job done, you know, and, and none of that stuff had ever been, you know, set to me. It's all been learned through yeah. Right. Yeah. I actually went and met him when I was like twenty eight. So I'm thirty five now, so I went and met him when I was twenty eight. So I went up to the business somehow still existed. Um, I think when he went to prison, his business. yeah, his business. Oh, really? So okay. when he went to prison, other people ran it for oh, him, okay. but there was like none of the drugs, but there was just this actual genuine infrastructure for getting luxury chocolates in from mm. Europe. So actually like the business itself works mm. and the vans and employees and warehouses were all already there to just take the drugs and the drug dealers out of it. Yeah. But the infrastructure still exists. Um, so when he came out of prison, he went back to it. Um, and I'm not sure of like the details of, of who actually had ownership of it from what he suggested there had been so much investment from outsiders that he's not you know you're, you're a glorified manager at this point you don't really own your own company anymore but anyway i digress um and i went in and and um i was kind of directed up to the staff room i kind of just dropped him and uh yeah i mean the abuse was like horrendous like like really 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 dark physical abuse like you know he used to beat my mum, and so i never really blame her for when she ran away he used to beat her and then it was like when she went it was my turn you know and so i went into this staff room and i'm my heart is like getting me to punch out it's just it's like the first time I, the first time i jumped it's like the first time i parachute my heart is like punching out of my chest and uh i've got all these mixed things like am i just gonna bang him out mm. um what's he gonna say what's he gonna do am i am i gonna lose my temper am i gonna stay calm am i gonna regret anything i'm gonna say trying to like staying all these questions when you had this internalized this introspective conversation is just horrific and then there was this kind of as he kind of steps into the doorway to my right and i i look over at him and he there's like this frail old man with a lit cigarette in his hand <laughs> so this is like seven years ago so like you're not supposed to be smoking inside for sure and like there's food prep going on but like Again, like that's like, you know, like he was like the pricks prick. <laughs> and uh and he goes, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I don't regret what I've done to you, boy. I've made you strong. And then all of a sudden there's this thing that just washes over me and I go, You're the fucking problem. Well, like a moment of realization. Yeah, yeah, this epiphany, man, you're the problem. Like you're the problem. Did you blame yourself then? Oh, yeah. When a when a when a caregiver stops loving a child, the child doesn't stop loving the caregiver, the child stops loving themselves. You don't love yourself. And I just started on this therapeutic journey. I've gone to therapy. Like I was all over the shop, like in real, like internalized trauma. Mm. And I just remember thinking, fuck, you're the piece of shit. That light bulb. Yeah, yeah. Like you're the piece of shit. Mm. Because I have a daughter. Like, I would never do that to her. Mm. Georgie was like four or five at the time. Like I'd never abuse my, my child the way you abuse. And all that internalized hate and anger, you know, that expresses itself as, as, you know, being violent to other men as being unable to to manage your emotional state as as not being able to hold down romantic relationships because of emotional distancing because of infidelities like all of this this shit person behavior just a reflection of the fact that i didn't love myself i didn't fucking like myself yeah. and how is that you know how is that not understandable 
when you consider that the person that was with the people that were supposed to show me caregivers that were supposed to show me that love weren't interested would disappear would just fob you off would just say no or indeed meet you with violence and abuse and anger so you internalize that i see that all the time with clients and selves that if we don't understand why a person is doing something we internalize it. So we assume it's about us. If you don't know why they're doing it, you're going to assume it's about you. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying therefore that we have to know everybody's individual story, but we have to understand is every single other, other person's attitudes, behavior, and belief is a reflection of them. You gotta be em empathetic towards that. I mean, that's Com the compassion is key. Yeah. Be compassionate to other people. Nobody wakes up to be the bad guy. And so that was one of the, the hardest things for me in my therapeutic journey was forgive him. Yeah. Okay. Forgive him. I bet that was a weight lifted off your shoulder. As soon as he said that and you had that realization, you're like, oh. oh, it's you. Yeah. You're the piece of shit in all of this. Yeah. It's not anything to do with me. Like you're the piece of shit. Yeah. And that, that sort of, yeah, it was like a light bulb moment. It was just like someone who just took a weight and lifted it off me. Mm. It's so weird. We went into his office, we had this conversation and he, he said, this, this business, you can have it. You can have it and you can sell it and it's worth a couple of million and then that's yours. And I was like, no. I don't fucking want your money. I don't care. I don't, that's like we, and five minutes when we sit on like the other end of like the spectrum of what it means to be a man. Mm. Like you're there and you're speaking like ill of like women and it was just the shit he was coming out with, like this vile stuff that was just coming out of his mouth that just gave me the ick. It's just like, <laughs> just one of those blokes who just gives me the ick. Get away from me. I don't want anything to do with you. See you, like, like just see you later. Mm. Done. Yeah. So, the, so the resilience side of things then, mm. um, I think, I don't know if you would class it as an umbrella term, would you? Because I yeah. think there's so many factors to it that yeah, I don't yeah, know what the word is, yeah, no, but I'm at the same time, there's first. almost multiple meanings to it, right, in a yeah. sense, and it, it might resonate different with different people, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. In an elevated pitch, Okay, yeah. what is resilience? To jump onto that, Carl Jung, so one of like Jungian psychiatry is considered like a top end of, of, of one of the um, early understandings of the human mind um he says something brilliant where he says every individual that you meet is the exception to the rule so there's not one psychological principle that can apply to everybody and actually like the more you dig into people and you find out how multifaceted and nuanced and brilliant yeah, and subjective they are that doesn't even apply to them so um resilience is a very very subjective term if i was like you said if i was to pitch it i would say it would be learning the key psychological skills required to turn surviving into thriving how can you take the situation that you are that is happening to you into something that is happening for you? Yeah. Okay. And that's the key. Yeah. Interesting. Cause I, I guess it's something I'm realizing more and more as I work with more and more people. So mm. I'm obviously an online fitness coach, but mm. I'm realizing, well, no, not just now for the last three years or so, I'm realizing it's much more than here's a training plan, go off and do it. I work right, with yeah, yeah. so many different people with mums, with, lads like me and everyone's on their own thing mm. so the resilience side of the thing is something that i'm probably trying to there's only so much that i can do and mm. something from your book that i really liked and i've got it written down in case i get it wrong okay in fact i'm going to get it up now just in case but it's resonated with me quite much so it's like you you have this is what you said in your book okay i think yeah no you a person can drown in an ocean that one no no it's, it's to do with effort okay go on like you I'll read it just so I don't get it wrong. So as an individual, you have a personal responsibility for your own health, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then, 
So this is one thing that I always say to my clients is I can give them the complete framework of getting in shape, whatever their mm -hmm. goal is to want to do. I can give them the accountability, the direction, the structure, but they have to put the effort in. And I say it when I have a call with someone, I was like, I can give you everything, but I can't do the work for you. You've got mm -hmm. to go and do it yourself. So absolutely fine. Take people on board, whatever. But what, what I'm realizing more is the, the average, let's say I'm plucking someone out of thin air here. Mm -hmm. Let's say we've got a mum um with three kids at home mm. got a job whatever how can you instill that resilience onto someone like that who has everyday challenges maybe one of their children's got sick maybe their husband's lost a job maybe mm. they've lost their job. all these yeah. little speed bumps that they have how can you help them to become more resilient to not just giving up on themselves right yeah 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 for sure because, like the practical yeah. things that you can because i can always say like oh don't worry about it move like yeah yeah do you can try this, try that, but how, how can you actually yeah, yeah. build that resilience? Well, first and foremost, there's, there's, you know, the whole, don't worry about it movement, the whole positive psychology thing. I, I do away with that. Like yeah. there's, there's no space in resilience for positive psychology because how are you ever supposed to make moves on where you are if you can't see where you are? because you're constantly telling yourself no 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 let's look on the bright side no let's look on the real side like where are we it's too quick to go positive mental attitude right right yeah, yeah which yeah. is what i don't like that i sometimes find myself saying which mm. is what i've been thinking about which is why mm. when i was listening to your book i was like shit there's yeah. so much here right yeah <laughs> so what people often say is is um it is what it is and i'm not oh, a fan yeah. of it is what it is like i hate it is what it is because it opens the door to narcissism it opens the door to helplessness which we talked about um helplessness and trauma often go hand in hand when a person is stripped of their capability to survive a situation they often find themselves traumatized by it because of how memory coding happens um uh but when someone therefore is making themselves helpless to a situation they become a victim of it they strip themselves of their own power so rather than saying it is what it is i teach people to say it is what i choose to make it theodore roosevelt says do what you can with what you have wherever you are so what's the 1% wins? You're a single mum with three kids and one of them's got poor health and financially you're in a difficult situation. I'm not gonna lie, po positive visualization, you're not gonna manifest your way out of that situation. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you can work your way out of it. Yeah. And that's incredibly challenging to do, but let's stop. What can you do with what you have? Yeah. What's the 1% what's the win? Yeah. And it is no, like, I am in no way victim shaming. I am in no way, um, um, you know, I don't exist in a world of, of privilege. Like I know that poverty and know what it's like. It's incredibly challenging, but what's the 1% wins? What's the one thing you can do to make your life better today? What's the next 1%? What's the next 1%? A phrase I often use when I was in the military, which is left foot, right foot, your body will follow you. What's the one thing? What's the next thing? What's yeah. the next thing? I've got 30 miles to go. I'm never going to do 30 miles. No, but I can do the first step. Yeah, exactly. Left one one right thing right I tell myself or... I have done I just I, I try and keep things simple with what I do but it's mm. like fi finding Nemo right yeah it's just keep swimming just keep swimming it's the same sort just of keep thing, swimming right? yeah yeah but how it's so hard sometimes when someone's in that position where they the, the world's ending for them or they can't see like where they wanted to be with me on a weight loss journey or whatever it is like I'm I'm now getting better at putting questions onto them of like mm -hmm. okay where can we like we'll strip this back let's just focus on this one thing mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. even getting them to do that sometimes maybe it's like you say, it just requires the effort. Right? Yeah, you've yeah. got someone's got to want to put that effort in. There's a, there's a military um, uh, statement, and everyone will have to forgive me for its crudeness because it's a military statement, <laughs> so it's crude. Which is, you have to learn to piss with the dick that you've got. Yeah. If you like this positive psychology movement, like you don't know what dick you've got because you're too busy trying to think positively about it. No, 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 no. What is your dick? Like, what does it actually look like? And learn to piss with that. 
and that's resilience. Like, what can I do? What's the one percent? And it's like applicable in so many different um, forums and contexts. I've I've just been doing my masters. I'm 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 I've I've written. I'm just neatening up and editing my dissertation. And you know, fifteen thousand word dissertation starts with one word, and just write the next word. And there are times when I'm sat there and I'm going, I don't get it. I go, okay, sit down, just write another hundred words. Mm. Write another hundred words, then you can make yourself a brew. Okay, cool. I'm gonna write another hundred words. I've made my brew. Okay, cool. I'm gonna write another two hundred words, and then I can have breakfast. Two hundred words, and I have breakfast. Okay, now I'm gonna write another three hundred words. Oh, now I've, I've written six hundred words. Okay, cool. That's a, that's loads. That's enough for today. Right, tomorrow I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna edit those. I'm gonna go through it. 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 It starts with just one word at a time. And that's true of absolutely everything. Stop looking at like the end state and going, oh, I'm going to aim for that. And this is why I, I reject smart principles. Okay. When it comes to goal setting, I'm not a fan of smart principles because it doesn't, it doesn't allow for life. Specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-bound goals. What happens when you break your leg? Yeah. And then you're, everything falls apart around it. And the problem with the smart goals, or the smart principles to goals, is that you have to remain constantly motivated to do them. I don't teach that. I teach changing your identity to fit your outcome. So if a girl says, Tim, I want to get on stage. I want to do, I want to be a wellness competitor. Okay, cool. Perfect. Well, then how does a wellness competitor eat? How do they sleep? How do they train? What do they wear? Who do they spend their time with? What media do they consume? And the more we repeat that, the more we can identify this process of neuroplasticity that occurs within the brain, which is where neurons realign themselves. So, and then once they realign, they become, they become sealed in a, in a thin layer of fat known as a myelin sheath. So this myelin sheath then secures them, so then it requires less effort to do. So now we're talking about forming an identity and making that identity habitual. Now you don't have to be motivated to go to the gym. The idea of not going to the gym creates distress. If I was to say to you, you're not going to go for the gym for the rest of the week, that would upset you. You'd be like, no, but I want to go. Because that's your identity. Not because it's a smart goal, but because it's your identity. Yeah. So you have created this identity built around repetition of a series of positive habits that are ultimately going to get you to your end goal. You are a coach. There's no two ways about it. You live like a coach. You go out to Dubai and you spend your time like a coach. You live with other coaches. You create podcasts. This is your identity. This is who you are. And that is why you are successful at what you do. And the exact same principle with the Paralympic rowing team. Paralympic rowing team. How does a, how does a gold medalist, how do they sleep? How do they eat? How do they train? Who do they spend their time with? What are they doing? Challenge their identity. Chloe Pickford, IFBB Pro. She was calling herself the Chloe Pickford IFBB Pro 18 months before they gave her that card. Why? Because that's what we did. What is your identity yeah. and how does it fit your outcome? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. The, the one big battle I have, especially um, with people that are like maybe interested in what I do is so often, and I, it's not me saying I don't get it, but I have people saying I'm not motivated at the moment. Mm. And that almost triggers me to a point mm. when I'm like, you don't need to be motivated. Mm. That, that's mm. going to come and go. Mm. And I'm almost glad I had a call with one of my clients last week. He's like, oh, I've lost all motivation. It's like, cool, let's jump on a, let's jump on a call about mm. it and let's chat about it. Um, I was like, you don't need that motivation. I'm, I'm glad that they had that dip in it because mm -hmm. I'm making him realize like that's going to come and go all the time. I'm mm. not always motivated to, to go to the gym. I'm not mm. always motivated to cook a healthy meal or something, mm. but you do it because of the um, delayed gratification side of things and you know it's going to benefit you in the long run right it was, but which is really interesting that because there's a real interesting neurobiological process that we can now observe yeah so what people have to understand about neurobiology neuroscience the, the the information is changing with it science changes as a technology around science improves right so like say for example galileo said 
the Earth is round. And everyone was like, no. So then you got a high-power telescope pointed on the horizon, on the shipping lanes, as ships approached, someone will correct me, I'm sure, I think he was in Vienna, um, as ships approached. And he said, what's the first part of the ship that you see? Well, the top of the mast. So it must be round then. They must be coming over a curve. The technology improves, so the information improves. And that's what's, that is what we are seeing happening with the brain. For example, fMRIs, functional MRIs. We can see interdepartmental communication between the brain far more clearly than we ever have been before. So our information around it changes. A really fascinating study that was done like last year into rats was um, radiologically charged atoms were given to rats that would then go to their um, in the food that they consumed that would then go and, and we could see it then being absorbed and brain development and used in brain development. So you could then see these radiologically charged movements of molecules within rats' brains so we could understand even better the communication that's happening between rats' brains. You go, wow, that's amazing. We're understanding how brains work in greater detail. So the science changes. As technology improves, science changes. So neurobiology and neuroscience is super interesting at the moment because like technology is forever improving. Yeah. So like we're forever seeing things in more detail. And what we can identify is there is a greater spike of dopamine in anticipation for reward than there is in receipt of it. Consider this, a child that unwraps a present at Christmas is like super excited as they're ripping yeah. the paper off. And unless it is a, I don't know, a, a brand new Xbox or something, subjective, but a, a brand new Xbox and then they go <gasps> like that. Unless it's that, they go, okay, cool. What's next? Yeah. Because that's the human brain. We crave the, in the anticipation of reward. Because if we just crave the reward, we would constantly be seeking only ever instantaneous gratification. Pleasure. Pleasure, yeah. correct. Instantaneous gratification, that pleasure. Exactly yeah. that, mate. So consider this then. If cavemen only ever craved instantaneous pleasure, we would never have made it out of the cave. Mm. But actually, it's that desire to work, to build, to grow, to develop yeah. that actually drives us now. What we do have to appreciate is that kind of two factors affect that quite severely. First and foremostly, early and sustained exposures of cortisol and genetic inheritance. So we are correctly now identifying the fact that a lot of addictive behaviors are actually inher uh, genetically inherited, which is down to kind of your ability for your dopamine receptors to absorb, or indeed the number of dopamine receptors to absorb dopamine. So dopamine is our feel good. That's the, that's the rush of feel good you get, delayed gratification. So instantaneous gratification is eating a McDonald's. Mm -hmm. Delayed gratification is eating your chicken and rice, see where you are in six weeks time. Like delayed gratification. Now eating the McDonald's, Either because of genetic inheritance, you are far more susceptible to addictive behaviors. So therefore you're far more likely to overeat because you just crave that because the brain, the human brain craves dopamine because we get rushes of dopamine when we have survival behaviors, eating, sleeping, having sex, all of those things give us rushes of dopamine. So all of the things you can become addicted to are things that give you rushes of dopamine. Mm -hmm. So you become addicted to this. Oh, I need to, cause you've got that, that I need that dopamine. I need that dopamine because you're lacking in that and the human brain craves it. Now, dopamine receptors are also suppressed and or damaged by cortisol. So traumatic experiences, particularly in the developmental stages of the brain, like in childhood, far, far greater make people more susceptible to addictive behaviors. So alcoholism, drugs, yeah. violence, risk-taking behaviors, sex, all of those things are going to create, potentially going to create um, um, susceptibility to those negative behaviors. In a really fascinating study, the American um, uh, Center for Disease 
uh, control did this like unbelievably interesting study into this uh into uh how childhood trauma affects us later as adults and they estimated they could reduce alcoholism domestic violence drug addiction by 75 percent by removing child abuse if you could eradicate child abuse overnight that generation would have 75 percent less domestic violence alcoholism drug addiction that's crazy because you are so much more susceptible to it because your brain is craving dopamine same as everyone else's brain but if you've got a plethora of dopamine receptors within your brain and you know you're going to have a healthy amount of reward for the behaviors that you do and therefore a healthy amount of desire to delay that gratification to then achieve more and achieve more and achieve more but if your brain is like we just don't get the dopamine that we need you're just going to seek it out so yeah you're right but then how many body coaches, PTs, online, however it is, are going to say, what are your childhood experiences? Do you have early exposures of traumas? And what is trauma? And how do we define trauma? I think there's an element of that, of like, if I was to go that deep with people, I'd be like, well, this isn't quite in my lane. Correct. I I can speak to you on a human level, but when it gets to that point, maybe there is something, I'd be like, I need to stay in my lane here. Right, okay, cool. So then, so then, Myself and Ben wrote, wrote a course and um, Eleanor Crystal, who is just one of the most wonderful women that I know. We wrote a course about how to um, uh, work with um, vulnerable clients, as in men, men, poor mental health, vulnerable clients. What is depression, anxiety? How does it express itself? What does it all mean? How to understand it? Da, 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 da. Uh, so we wrote that course for PTs and body coaches. Cool. cool. I didn't know that. It's the only Simsba accredited course. Mm. How many did you think we sold? When, when did this come out then? Two, three years ago would not have a clue 50 zero oh really no one would pay for it 29.99 no one would pay for it why because well a friend of mine um said to me you marketed it wrong you marketed it wrong because you said this will help your clients this is good for your clients this will this will benefit them you talk about how it's going to benefit the pt or body it's coach right. if you said if you want to get more out of your clients yeah, yeah. if you want your clients to achieve more to for, stay you, with you for you to stay with or... you for longer to get on stage to do the things that you want them to do if you if you were to market it like that more people will buy it right. so we're going to go away and we're going to have to remarket it but that is again like a scathing indictment of human nature mm. like, well what's in it for me yeah. well you get to do more for people that you work with do i really care about that though you know huge organizations you approach them and go, nah, you're right, thanks. Yeah, that's a great niche to have, by the way. Yeah. If, as a coach, like, yeah. if you have that side of it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look at the uh, latest report um, suggesting that from the World Health Organization that um, uh, half the world's population could potentially have a mental disorder um, by the time they've hit 75. I mean, that's, that's mental, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's madness, right? Yeah. I mean, this is an ever-growing problem, and that's for many, many multifaceted reasons. Like, why is mental health so poor? Um, the main answer to that is capitalism. Like, we we are expecting people to work more and more, work harder and harder, mm-hmm. to 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 donate more of their time, their life, their love, their emotional effort to a system whereby they have to make the bare minimum at the moment because it is the bare minimum to survive. Mm-hmm. Like, call me old-fashioned, but someone shouldn't have to work a sixty-hour week just to be able to afford to live. And so that constant pressure is a massive factor. We live in an ever alienating society. So people are forever on their own. You are, and people feel that. Like we're not designed to live how we live. So 
about two and a half million years ago, we first emerged from the jungles of Central Africa and we were tribal animals and instincts and that drove our survival. About 200,000 years ago, we started fully developing prefrontal cortexes and now we're looking at sending people to Mars and now people work in booths with little laptops and yeah, work on AI and work on AI <laughs> and just find themselves increasingly isolated. But there's not, not running around and being part of a group and having that being human, being human, developing those positive relationships and running around. And it's just not done, mm. you know, seeking that tribe. Like we all need a tribe. There's been this, this, uh, glamorization of the, um, uh, um, introvert. You could be introverted, but you still need to have tribe. You still need to have a social yeah, circle. Yeah. Don't isolate yourself and celebrate that. That's, That's what you see on social media oh, all the time now. Oh, if I could live on an island with no Wi-Fi. Yeah, no, yeah. He's celebrating it. That, that's a really good point. And you said about, um, what was it, to do with the positive mental attitude sort of movement. Yeah. That is part of the issue with what I do, I think, with social media. Yeah, right. All that's put in front of you is positive, positive, positive. Yeah, right. Um it's not real right it's not, yeah. It's not yeah. real at all yeah you know we, this individual accountability particularly like when it comes to the clients who i work with who are really vulnerable most of them live in in poverty um so then you know the, the question is is <laughs> this individual accountability yeah it's heartbreaking it absolutely is heartbreaking but also at what point does the system take accountability for putting people into this position in the first place mm. uh, ostracizing fathers from seeing their children alienation of of groups of people, this awful economic system where we've got, whereby you know that the the, the 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 poorest people carry the can, and that the elitist people make so much money. And this isn't, you know, I don't want to get on a, um, a political soapbox, but it's it's really hard to to talk to people about individual accountability, whereby they are once again being punished for being poor. You know, we see the we see the. Uh, um, the, the sort of terrorizing of the working class in in most social media and most media outlets now because it's it's an easy win you know the 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 demonization of the working class is something that we've observed for a long period of time so poor mental health isn't always about individual accountability it's i'm really sorry we live in a capitalist system is absolutely we taking can't win yeah it's yeah. taking advantage of you yeah and i'm you know that is a really really what can we do with what we've got yeah it comes back to that comes back to that and the same way that so i just want to touch on it because uh, again in your book and um to do with unlearning negative behavior patterns yeah yeah i yeah. think this is huge to what i do and the good thing you've t sort of touched on it as well with the brain well you didn't quite say it but i, I think i'm going to get this right the brain's malleable so right correct you yeah. can you can change yeah yeah so you can change those so right. how how again from a practical standpoint and who i work with maybe i can link this to sort of nutrition maybe smoking drinking mm -hmm. um, all these negative patterns potentially that impact our physical health mm. right how, how can you start to change that? Okay, so I think it's important that we cover why we have them. So basically what happens is, is the hippocampus, which is the emotional memory bank, begins to form the moment that we exit the womb. So what we're doing is we're learning about survival and that survival example is set to us by our primary and secondary caregivers. So we are subconsciously absorbing the world around us to learn what survival behaviors are. So if they communicate through violence, that's what we're gonna assume love is yeah. if they communicate through anger we're going to assume that's that's what love is we learn these behaviors we absorb them we adopt them and that becomes the yardstick so we also learn about health behaviors now anyone who's ever said 
oh my God, I'm turning into my mum. Oh my God, I'm turning into my dad. Like, yes, you're designed to do that because we're not designed to live how we're living now. We're designed to live how we lived two and a half million years ago, which we would recreate the patterns of behavior from our elders, from our ancestors, from our caregivers, because that ensured survival. And that's what we, that's the only thing we had going on, survival. We didn't have Tinder. We had survival. That was it. And fast forward to where we are now, we're observing that actually we have, as a race of people, particularly in Western society, began ingraining, effectively conditioning, really, really negative health behaviors, like smoking, like drinking, like poor eating habits. Um, and we are kind of learning this. So if you have caregivers who weren't necessarily um, um, health focused or health conscious, didn't really care about or, stuff or like aware that. Aware or anything. Aware yeah, of yeah. it, yeah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're going to have adopted their attitudes, behaviors, and beliefs towards food. You know, like we use it as an example because it was just so awful, but like the nineties heroin chic that, you know, that got absorbed, that got conditioned into girls and their mums wanted to do that. Their mums were having black coffee and a cigarette for breakfast. And now they're going, well, that's what I want because that's what I want to do. And so then that becomes ingrained in the brain. So the brain goes, right, but that's how we, that's how we survive. If that's what she did, that's what he's doing. That's what we need to do. Okay, cool. So how do we then challenge that? Well, as a psychotherapist, I talk about taking a top-down approach. So the outer layer of the brain, the sort of cerebral cortex, that's our, that's our prefrontal cortex, that's where our, our conscious reasoning happens. So what we have to learn to do is learn to understand our body and its needs and then consciously choose, even if it means going against what we're feeling, to do the yeah, right thing. Right. So our subconscious, our emotional memory bank, our fear generator, all of that stuff talks to us directly through our central nervous system. So the... Um, the, uh, the subconscious via something known as the hypothalamus talks directly to the central nervous system. So you feel a certain way towards a food. Like if you put a burger in front of you and a bowl of salad, you can look at the burger and you go, <laughs> and you get like little bits of excitement because yeah. your subconscious is going, release a little bit of adrenaline, the release dopamine. a little bit of serotonin. Yeah, even like a little bit of dopamine yeah. to go with that. You're going, oh, I want that, <laughs> I want that, I want that. And you look at the salad and then there's a little bit of cortisol, stresses you, you go, oh, I don't, I don't really want that. Now that is going on constantly throughout the day okay cool but if you sit there and you go i know consciously that the salad in this context like there's no nuance provided to this context this is just a very very yeah, basic yeah, context very basic. right i'm not saying that you can't have burgers <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's people who are like it's fine to have a burger if you're eating intuitively okay cool 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 cool, yeah. cool. I'm, i am not going to go into the nuance of nutrition i'm just simply using this as an example you're gonna look at the burger and go oh i want the burger you're gonna look at the salad and go oh i don't want but if you have made a conscious calm rational decision to know that actually the salad is what you need to eat today then the salad is what you need to eat today in the same thing, you're going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, I want black coffee and a cigarette because that's what I grew up having. Oh, that's what I saw my mum having. And that's what I've always had as a teenager. And, da, 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 da. and you go, nope, I made a conscious decision when I was calm, when I was emotionally balanced to have cereal or porridge or whatever it might be. I'm going to, I'm going to have that top down approach. I'm going to choose my logic over my emotional decision-making process. Short-term pleasure for... Correct. That's what I speak about all the time. Correct. Now, can we then, can we then, can we then begin to learn that? Does that then become the learned behavior? Yes, it does through repetition. Right, that's what I was going to so say. So the process yeah. of neuroplasticity, which is how we rewire the neuro, the neurons within our brain to then formulate new behaviors that then become the habit habits does mm. take repetition. Lots and lots and lots of repetition. And it can be uncomfortable as well, can't it? Though. Well, it's going to be yeah. for a lot of people to change their habits. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the hardest habits to change is how we behave in a romantic relationship. Okay. That's hard. 
because you could you could go you could you could meet someone and you could have this 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 enjoyment enjoy spending time with them but then that voice in your head is going you're getting like bits of cortisol because you're like they're going to break up with me freaking out yeah 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 yeah, yeah. She, she haven't replied she hates me she's she, she's telling all her friends what an idiot i am i'm a mug i, I want to get rid of her just just find a reason find a reason so that you're not the bad guy find a reason to end this no 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 i've made a conscious decision She's a good it's egg. It's self-sabotage, isn't it? Correct. But I it's this all the time with food, right? Yeah, food, right. food, yeah, yeah. food, behavioral patterns. Because then like that plays into another factor of it, which is again in mentality. Right. Sort of. yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's it's, you know, people have let me down, things haven't worked out for me. That's what I'm used to. That's survival. That's right, safety. Okay. So it, it's safe to fail for me. Because that's what I've always known. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So people will like trash their own journey. Because that's safe. How, you, how can you change that with someone? Like top, say the top down top approach. Top down approach, but right. wow, it's challenging. Yeah, like yeah. particularly romantic relationships, you could be on the brink of the best relationship you ever had. You go and fuck it up. And you go fuck it up. <laughs> you go, you find a reason to fall out. Yeah. Find a reason to fall out. Yeah. And you just, that's it, done. And like, I've seen and done it myself. And I say, have this conversation all the time with clients. You're finding a reason to end that. Are you sabotaging this relationship? Has this person actually broken your trust or have you invented a reason for them to break your trust? And now you're going, right, well, that's it, I'm done. Well, they're not the one for me. And that's hard. Doing that yeah. work on yourself is hard and it's scary because your subconscious is going, oh, no, we want survival. But that's the putting in the effort, isn't that's it? That's the putting in the effort. So you've got, so for me, for example, I've got, I always say to people, I'm gonna give them tough love. Like mm. I'm there for you, I'm in your corner. I'm, I'm your biggest supporter, but if you're not putting in the effort that you say you want X, whatever it is down the line, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you're you got you think the whole world's against you, you've messed up on your diet, whatever it is, and mm -hmm. and you're just accepting that like it's not for me, I can't, mm -hmm. it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You've got to have that effort to put in. You don't mm -hmm. you don't need the motivation. This is where I'm. This is where I'm like, you just need to do the thing. Yeah, yeah. Those little steps, like you say. Yeah, you just yeah. Need to do the thing. Yeah, right. Yeah. So then that motivation comes down the line. And right. Then, right. Yeah. But it's so hard to. Ah. Oh, so hard to do. Ah. Oh, so hard to do so hard to do like uh, you know we see this in like so many different examples so it's not just romantic relationships it's not just in food in health behaviors financial behaviors that's a real common one mm. you know neurotic parents and financially irresponsible parents raise neurotic and financially uh, irresponsible children you become an adult yourself and then and then and then who are you going to project that onto yeah because now it's all about self-awareness because now if you're aware of that you're aware not to project it but if you can understand that your reactions to the world are based upon what is effectively a conversation between a part of the brain known as the amygdala this is your fear generator and your hippocampus which is your emotional memory bank the question is not why am i choosing for me why am i choosing to do this behavior the question is why is my subconscious choosing for me to do this behavior like what is this conversation between okay, yeah. my fear and my memory that's making me want to do this yeah so obviously my brain's relating this back to what i do but that's having what I always say to people is you might have like say that burger or you might have that donut in front of you and you're right. like, yes, I want that. Mm. I always want to say, I say to people all the time, it's about the mindfulness side of things. So just take a second. Do you want it right now? Which the answer is probably yes. Mm. Obviously you want that donut right now, or do you want what's further down the line? Right, and what's yeah. going to support you to get there? Mm. Um, so I think it comes down, you've got to have that mindfulness, just pause for a second. Mm. I say it to clients all the time, like just take that second to pause. Mm. When you've got that food in the office that's in front of you, when, I don't know, your other half wants to get a takeaway. Do you actually want it? Mm. Like you do in that moment, but do you actually want it? Right, like yeah. Pause, take that 
take that second. I wonder be interesting would be, I wonder how many of your clients who really struggle with their relationship with food is actually because food was used as either a punishment or reward as a child. Yeah. So you go, yeah, right, that's if interesting, you, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, right. So um, if you behave yourself, you can have yeah, yeah. pudding. Finish your dinner and you get ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> and so then they will then punish themselves by not eating the foods that they want and thus opening the door to really disordered eating. Yeah. Or if food was always used as a reward. So then they're associating food with reward. So every time they do something right, they feed themselves. Mm. Like with a treat, it's a treat, it's another treat. Yeah. And that's just, maybe there are no good foods or bad foods. Maybe there are no treat foods. Maybe there are just foods that are gonna help you get close to where you want to be with your physical health. And there are foods that are potentially going to slow that journey down a little bit. Maybe don't see them as, as either or. Yeah. But that's, you know, again, is that because my parents rewarded me or punished me with food that I have now created this relationship with so food? Interesting, yeah. Right. Yeah, it, it would be like, and that starts at a super young age, super young age. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. We're probably gonna have to wrap this up soon, but one more question before Hit you, me. I think what, like, what are you working on now? What's next for you? What? So finish the dissertation. Yeah. So that's, that's, I do not miss my, dis like writing a dissertation, by the way. I think mine was 12,000. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, brutal. Like, why do I have to cite? Just believe me, bro. Ah, oh, the worst thing. Just <laughs> I got told a couple of sites though. You probably know about them. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you after but, yeah, just in yeah. case of, yeah, no, they're absolutely fine. They yeah. saved my life. I was doing it all manually. Yeah. And so I said, you can just whack it into this and it'll generate it. And I was yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, just believe me. Like I just, 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 <laughs> I know, just yeah. believe me. Um, so finish so dissertation. Finish dissertation. Um, the business is taken, not like all the backseat. Like I still, I'm maxed out with clients, which is a great place to be in. But, um, but just at that point whereby breathe, I've just started a, um, we're starting a one day a week and a clinic on Harley Street. So as of next week, I'm actually gonna be able to sell my Harley Street psychotherapist. Nice. Wild. Yeah. Right, which is wild, which That's is, awesome. yeah, right, like peak, like peak of my game, uh, which is amazing. There's now further education. Now when I finish this master's, there's a second master's that I'm looking at in okay. philosophy and theology. Say what, PhD? <laughs> I think PhD is next year. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so I'm gonna do another master's this time full time, and then the end of that. But I've been offered something, on a PhD placement in applied neuroscience, mm -hmm. which would be amazing. Um, but there's also another master's that I want to do because like yeah. philosophy is just such a huge role yeah. in my life. You know, I've, I've in so much of my therapy, I find myself talking about Aristotle so much, um, talking a bit about stoicism. I'm not a huge fan of stoicism talking about Aristotle. I talk about Plato a lot, talk a little bit about Socrates and I'm like, you know, I'm, although we cover this, like I really, really, really want to be fully read into like aristotle and socrates yeah. and plato and um it took me about a year but I, I read the bible um i'm not a religious guy but i wanted to know there's so much wisdom in there mm -hmm. like so much wisdom in there that that um and it's really interesting like this is it could be an, an entirely different podcast I feel like there's loads of it do, oh yeah. mate yeah like uh the bible is a book of life hacks that meant something two thousand years ago yeah Right, like don't eat this meat, don't mix this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do this, don't. It was life hacks because people just didn't know how to live their lives. You know, it was not an easier time to be alive. People just died of hideous illnesses all the time and needed to know that there was hope. 
So that's the role that religion played. But there is also great wisdom in in religion. Yeah. And there is great, like fascinating, interesting things. And it's such a subjective and interesting thing to talk about that I really, really, really want to to, to study the philosophy. Would you write another book? Uh yeah, but like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How long has it been out? Is it April? Yes, April came yeah, out. Cool. So yeah. I will definitely finish it after this. Cool. But yeah. My mind was going way way yeah. too fast for it. So yeah. which is a good thing. Which is great. I can yeah. Implement a lot of what we've said today and everything into what yeah. I do. Well, I love it how many people read a chunk and then find me on social media and message me and go, about it. wow, what, what did Bert, like, it. That must you, be such a good feeling. Yeah, it's such a good feeling. They go, that's such an interesting So that, that's the book's everywhere, right? You yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went into, uh, I, I, I went into Waterstones oh, in so Oxford. Instagram. Yeah, so I went into one in Oxford. Um, I was on a date and I went into it in Oxford and ah, they- and it flex. <laughs> <laughs> and they sold out. It just happened to be in there. <laughs> <laughs> she she said oh let, you know, uh, uh, go and go and I went in and yeah it sold out unreal I know and I was like that's a little flex yeah that's cool as fuck yeah take that though yeah 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 yeah, yeah 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 I'll take that and then um I was in London yesterday um I was on Portobello Road um just amazing all you can eat Chinese place I was, I was going to pick my daughter up and it was a little bit early I saw that. I did about five plates didn't you? Oh. <laughs> Bro had like a three hour um, BJJ session this morning, so I needed to carb up yesterday. And um, so I went, in, I went into a uh, great excuse. Yeah, I popped into the water center. Oh, sorry. Have you got, she said, I'm really sorry, but we've just sold out. And I was like, yes. That's so cool. That's so, oh yeah. Um, so it's available cool. in water centers. Yeah, it's, it's so, it's so weirdly overwhelming when mm. people are like adding me and saying, I'm reading your book and I love it. What do you think to the, yeah. It is unreal. So if people does, want to find you then, Instagram yeah. best place? Yeah, Instagram or LinkedIn. And you got your webs, uh, LinkedIn as well? Yeah, and, and yeah, my website well, is, is it James Elliott Official? Yeah, so my Instagram is James Elliott Official. Yeah, cool. Um, and then my LinkedIn is obviously James Elliott. I do have a Facebook, but that's like, that's like a safe space where my military mates can rip it out of me without yeah. having to worry about, you know. Um, and then the, um, yeah, but my Instagram and my uh, LinkedIn are probably the best places to get hold of me. Sweet. But uh, we could do this forever. Oh, I mate. Think. So I massively appreciate it. Oh, we'll thanks for having me. There. Maybe we'll do it again another time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, love it. Thanks, bro. All done. Cheers.